Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life. Encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends through perspectives of hope in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to read literature theologically? Why is that important? What is the relationship between human imagination and attentiveness? How did God open the eyes of a man's heart and place him at the epicenter of conversations that influence world leaders. This is the story of Dr. David Mahan. We pause here to remind you the reason we have the Good Life program is to share how the love of Jesus Christ makes a difference in the lives of people. I'm talking about the love of Jesus so strong, so strong that he died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried and rose again on the third day, offering God's hope. David Mahan has experienced this hope. Dr. David Mahan is a lecturer in religion and literature at Yale University's Institute of Sacred Music. A graduate of Yale Divinity School in Religion and Literature and winner of the Religion and Arts Prize, he has focused on the relationship between works of the literary imagination and the tasks of Christian theology. He's the executive director of Rivendell Institute at Yale. He earned his Master of Arts in Religion and at Yale Divinity School, his PhD from the University of Cambridge. David, welcome to our show. Thank you, Danny. Thank you for having me. Where did you grow up? I originally grew up in central Michigan, uh, Mount Pleasant, Michigan. My father was uh, chairman of the biology department at Central Michigan University. Uh, Then we moved to Cleveland in 1973, where my father became the director of the Cleveland Museum of Natural History. What was it like growing up there in in a home with your father? What was the the ethos there in the Mahan home? Yes. Well, my, both of my parents are scientists. And so the study of nature, the love of nature, um, very much dominated our values as I was growing up. And my parents were wonderful teachers to me and my brothers about the natural world and the study of it. Um, spiritually, uh, we had no religion whatsoever in our home. Uh, My mother said officially we were agnostic. Uh, I, of course, didn't know exactly what that meant at the time, but uh, the the practical upshot of it for us was that we we had no religious training or input whatsoever. Would, Would you say that it was your parents who influenced you most during that time? Absolutely. My, my, my parents held some very important values um, that they conveyed to us, uh, a love of, of nature, a care for the natural worlds. Uh, they were very involved in 
uh, anti-war protests and environmental uh, activism themselves. So many of the issues that are at the, the forefront of our own consciousness today were issues that, that my parents engaged in causes they championed all the way back into the 1960s. So that had a lot to do with my outlook and certainly their, their scientific approach to the world influenced me strongly, though um, my brothers and I adopted our own very negative view of religion, not necessarily conveyed to us by our parents. How did that negative perspective emerge? Well, for one thing, through neglect, I mean, there simply was no religious education in our home. Our parents dabbled once with Unitarianism, but um, that was very short-lived. And so it was um, an absence we didn't feel because we never had any sort of religious interest in our home. Um, it, and uh, the impressions of religion, at least those that my brothers and I cultivated, were very negative, and that mainly from... Uh, watching religion and religious people from a distance, including members of our own family. Um, so for me, Jesus Christ was nothing more than a swear word. Well, describe from that point, describe for us your journey to faith in Christ. Yes. So I, I became very preoccupied with big questions, as many teenagers do. Uh, why am I here? What is this all for, et cetera? Uh, I remember one occasion when my mother, who was very fond of teaching us constellations, uh, had us out looking at the night sky, and she talked about uh, space going on forever and ever. And I was very troubled by this and asked her, how could that be? And she said simply, well, some things are just better not to think about. But I couldn't stop thinking about it. What, what is my place in this vast universe? Um, where do I belong? And um, so I, I had the, I had the kinds of questions that an ardent seeker has, um, but had very little input as to how to answer those questions. Then the summer before my senior year of high school, I was uh, uh, visiting an old friend uh, back in Michigan, and he started to tell me about his faith in Christ, his newfound faith in Christ, and challenged me. Uh, during a holiday we spent together to read the Gospel of Matthew. And again, I had never I had never even been to church, let alone read the Bible. So this was all very new to me. Uh, David, what was it and, about this this friend of yours that you that you were open to his his description or his his challenge? Because uh, you mentioned early on what you saw in the family, extended family, or what you saw of religious figures didn't spur you on in any way. Yes. Well, and that, <clears throat> so uh, I guess principally it would be that this was a, one of my dearest friends in the world. So how could I not listen to him mm -hmm. at one level? Um, I did challenge him with, typical kinds of questions about his newfound faith. Um, but he was so passionate about his discovery of, of the truth as he described it. I felt like I had to at least pay attention. 
his challenge to me to read one of the Gospels is not something I could have uh, justifiably refused to do. Um, so I did. Um, so I, I think it was just his, his personal credibility. Um, now, he and I did a lot of, of uh, very questionable things together. And he made it clear he was no longer going to be a part of that sort of lifestyle. And that impressed me, too, because that lifestyle had not resulted in any fulfillment in my own life, let alone answering large questions. So you read the book of Matthew. I did. What I did. And, and I couldn't, there was not one particular moment or thing that Jesus said, but the overall impression of Jesus that emerged from my reading of the gospel is that he, uh, I think as I put it at the time, he's the real deal. I was enormously attracted to the person of Jesus Christ. And so not long after that holiday with my friends, I um, was lying alone in bed um, just on my own and Having thought about this and thought about this, I finally put my faith in Jesus Christ um, one night in July of 1977. <clears throat> and four days later, through uh, some other Christian friends I had at my high school, um, I attended my first church service. What was your experience like attending your first church service and, and even your first your first Easter? Oh, it, it was a... <laughs> It was uh, it created the feeling of being a stranger in a strange land. Again, I had been suspicious and scornful of religion and the practices of religion for so many years. To walk into a religious service was uh, very unsettling for me. Um, I didn't know who these people were. I don't know what it meant to be a, a faithful follower of Christ or anything like that. And you mentioned Easter. In fact, I was so removed from a Christian understanding that it was six months after putting my faith in Christ that I discovered Easter was about his resurrection. I had, we had never celebrated it as such in my home. So it was very, very new and uh, disorienting for me to be in that, that religious environment. It's always a bit refreshing to hear someone's journey to Christ. And thank you for sharing that. David, in what ways have your faith, moving forward a little bit now, in what ways have your faith shaped your perceptions on imagination and literature? Well, I think I always was um, a fan of literature. And one of the values, in fact, that I grew up with, uh, that my parents nurtured was a love of learning, a love of books and reading, um, including works of the literary imagination that was highly esteemed. So I had always loved reading and, and study of works of the imagination. Uh, it wasn't until I became a Christian that I realized that imagination was one of the gifts, one of the faculties that was given to us by God in order to understand him as well as ourselves and our, and our world. And that works of the artistic imagination, especially um, excited interest and understanding new ways of perceiving um, 
that I realized enabled us to be more engaged both with the Lord as well as you know with with the, the people around us. Uh, it was the uh, novelist George MacDonald the, who had a decided influence on C.S. Lewis. In fact, Lewis says that he baptized my imagination. Uh, George MacDonald said that the human imagination uh, is made uh, in the image of the imagination of God. And so to understand that it was our very um, endowment of God's image uh, included our the imagination. And obviously, when we look at the creativity of the world and the universe, we can see that we have a remarkably creative uh, God. And so when I that um, showed up in the literature I was reading, uh, it became a much more deeply theological understanding and commitment for me. You're listening to Dr. David Mahan. Dr. Mahan is the executive director of Rivendell Institute at Yale. He's also a lecturer in religion and literature at Yale University's Institute of Sacred Music. When we come back, more, more conversation on imagination and literature. And what does it mean to read literature theologically? And why is that important? Dr. David Mahan shares out of his life. Coming from a a point of agnosticism, atheism, to a point of reading the Gospel of Matthew, from a credible friend, a challenge, and a conversion. Stay with us. We'll be back with more. Wandering the road of desperate life Famously beneath the barren sky Leave it to me James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. Listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Dr. David Mann teaches classes that offer theological readings of 20th and 21st century fiction and poetry and Christian poetics. His doctoral research at the University of Cambridge, specifically explored the connection between poetic form and the witnessing aims of a responsive theological discourse. You can find out more about him and his work and his program, the program at Rivendell Institute, rivendellinstitute.org. 
Again, RivendellInstitute.org. And look, if you're tuning in right now, maybe caught the tail end of that last segment, you can get this program in its entirety. It's a podcast, Spotify, Apple, any major podcast platform. It's available for you. Go ahead and share it with a family member or friend. David, what does it mean to read literature theologically? What I mean by it, Danny, is that we bring a, a, a theological lens or a theological set of interests to our reading of a poem or a novel. Sometimes those that the work itself excites that interest because it is written by somebody from a faith perspective or whose vision of the world is informed by a particular faith. Um, but oftentimes, especially in the poetry and, and fiction that I have my students read, uh, whether a, an explicit faith perspective is present in the work itself or not, the work excites religious questions. Uh, everything uh, from my own personal questions about why I'm here and the meaning of our existence to moral issues and moral questions. What does a just society look like? Uh, what is the nature of love? Uh, so there's very little that happens in the artistic imagination that doesn't uh, interact with religious questions. And so I tell my students, we're not imposing our theological interests on the literature, but we are reading out of the literature um, and uh, an appreciation for the kinds of issues that we as uh, people of faith are concerned about ourselves. Have you had students who had, like you before your journey to Christ, come at it with very little or no religious background as they take your class? Yes, I do have students. Now, this the context is Yale Divinity School, so many students have some sort of faith, but, but some of them have none. Um, typically, they're very enthusiastic about the study of literature, and, and so um, realizing how theology, religious faith engage literature that deepen a conversation with the poem or the novel that we're reading impresses them um, and uh, helps them to connect uh, the literary imagination that they have before them in the works we're reading to consideration of religious faith, religious questions. Not that they're persuaded to become religious themselves, at least not in the context of our classes, but I think religious faith gains a new credibility for them as an important conversation partner um, uh, in our reading of literature. Religious faith gains a new credibility as a conversation partner. David, how did graduate work at Yale and Cambridge inform you about spiritual formation? Well, a couple of ways. One, when I did my master's of arts and religion at Yale Divinity School, I sat under the tutelage of a wonderful professor, uh, Peter Hawkins, who's a Dante scholar, and we spent a year reading Dante's Divine Comedy. 
And the lights just went on for me. It was the first time I realized how deeply theological work of the literary imagination could be. And that sparked interest that eventually led me to pursue the PhD at Cambridge, which was on theology and poetry and how I find the poetry actually um, producing its own form of serious theological reflection. Um, but beyond that, I, the, the importance of it too, it, I thought a, quite a bit about the, how it is that Christians bear witness to their faith in our present cultural moment, which some people call post-Christian, uh, where we find a lot of reaction against Christian faith or um, a Christian understanding of the world. And, and the imagination, I realized, becomes a bridge for people, that it has the capacity to renew an interest in the things of God. Again, whether, whether the work is self-consciously religious or um, religious issues simply arise from our reading of the work. Um, so poetry, novels, fiction, storytelling, which of course constitute a lot of the Bible itself, have this enormous capacity to summons people to reconsideration of who God is and a vision of life that includes faith in Christ. You speak so of that the role of so the importance of that to our formation is basically the equipping of our imagination for the things of God. You're working there and you've been there for well over three decades there at Yale. Among scholars, why must the church, in your opinion, David, why must the church support scholars? One of the things that we look, we observe when we look at the history of the church is a deep commitment to learning and a recognition that um, careful reflection is a vital part of the formation of our own understanding of our faith, our comprehension of who God is in, in Christ. Um, the, the great universities of the world were founded by Christians who held those kinds of values. Um, I think the accumulation of wisdom and the kind of wisdom that has very practical results in the, the welfare of a society all um, emerge from careful study. Now, I think that, that given that legacy of learning that we find in, in Christian faith, and this is true, of course, in other faiths as well, um, we realize that, that to have a surface, uncritical, unreflective understanding of faith um, not only undermines the depth of our own religious faith and practices, um, but presents a pretty shallow understanding to the world around us. So I'm not saying religious faith has to be academic in order to be credible. I'm saying that religious faith, and again, this is our own tradition as Christians, should include deep reflection and study. And to realize that our understanding of how it is we are to live 
is only strengthened um, by the kinds of practices that scholars do. Um, and the fact is, I don't think that Christian faith, at least in an American context, is perceived as a thoughtful religion, which is tragic because 2,000 years of, of profound thinking, creative, innovative thinking is dismissed as irrelevant to today's problems. Um, and so I think we need to rediscover our uh, heritage of a love of learning and study and scholarship just for the sake of being able to translate our faith in ways that our contemporaries can understand and that, that reignites um, a fresh interest in what Jesus Christ has to say to us, to our humanity today. When you studied under Peter Hawkins, Dante's Divine Comedy, when you, as you speak about deep reflection and study, what did it feel like inside when you did the work at Yale and then went on deeper deeper at the University of Cambridge. Inside it, it I, 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 there's a phrase, uh, I forget who used it, the, the mind awake. I think it was used of Blaise Pascal, whose pensées are one of the great documents of Christian reflection. And I felt my mind awakened, stimulated by the imagination, stimulated by deep uh, study of works of the imagination. Uh, it, it, it gave me not only the sensibilities, but the tools to more deeply engage God and scripture. I became a better reader and a better thinker as a result of my study of literature. And also I think a more, a, a more morally sensitive to words and to language. I tell my students, if you never read a poem again after this class, at least learn from the poets um, what one theologian called the long discipline in learning how to speak. Um, a, a concern for words, what we say, Jesus said, that we will give an account for every word we speak. I think that's a very important message to the church today, especially in such a polarized society that is often toxic and infected with vitriol and animus. And, and I, I, we need to be careful speakers. And so we learned that from literary artists who are so attentive to what they say and how they say it. Um, so again, that relates to formation. Even if you're not a reader of poetry or are not interested in reading literature in the ways that I do, um, there's much there's much for us to gain in that respect as well. Um, but I would say internally, I, you know, the awakening of my imagination through the study of literature only awakened me further, made me more receptive and available to the Holy Spirit to speak his word to me and through me to others in this, um, in this present moment. Well, I want to thank you at this, just even at this halfway point, David, 
for speaking with us and sharing with us carefully and, and artistically your journey, your faith, your formation. David Mahan published his dissertation under the title An Unexpected Light, Theology and Witness in the Poetry and Thought of Charles Williams, Michal O'Shiel, and Jeffrey Hill. When we come back from our break, the Rivendell Institute. How did that vision emerge? How did the property that they work from, where students and faculty gather, how did that all come to bear? And what is the purpose? What's the mission? What are the values of Rivendell Institute? That and more, including what is institutional presence? Stay with us. We'll be back with more. Wandering the road of desperate life Namelessly beneath the barren sky Leave it to me Hi, this is Danny Yamashiro. In what way have you seen God work powerfully in your life? Do you have a story to share about God's provision and deliverance? Have you experienced God's healing? Do you have a testimony that will encourage others? 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. I want to share your story on our radio podcast. Please visit drdanny.live and share your Jesus story by clicking on the link at the top left of the home page. If you'd like to share your testimony in the form of a letter, send your correspondence to Formation Institute, P.O. Box 381-222, Cambridge, Massachusetts, 02238. That's Formation Institute, P.O. Box 381-222, Cambridge, Massachusetts, 02238. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. The mission of Rivendell Institute is to examine and advance the contribution of a Christian vision of life to human flourishing and the common good within Yale, academia, and contemporary culture the executive director, David Mahan, joins us today. Thanks for being with us. I appreciate you sharing in this time as David shares openly with us about his journey and the work that he's been engaged in at Yale University for more than 30 years. Find out more about Rivendell Institute at rivendellinstitute.org. David, how did the vision for Rivendell Institute emerge? Yeah, I appreciate that question, Danny. I, I um, Several of us were involved in campus ministry back in the 1980s, mainly at Ivy League campuses. And although we saw the Lord do a lot of wonderful things in the lives of students, we, we didn't feel as if we, we were making any sort of lasting impact on the institutional environment, which tends to marginalize Christ and the Christian vision. Um, 
not always openly hostile, but but indifferent towards it. And so we felt that we needed to be more deeply uh, institutionally embedded and engaged in order to actually affect environmental change in the contemporary university. Obviously, we couldn't do that at every university. So we thought, well, let's locate ourselves at one prominent university. And some of us were working in the campus ministry at Yale. And so Yale was a natural choice. Of course, Yale has a a rich spiritual history uh, with uh, periods of of pretty remarkable awakening and uh, revival, uh, though it had not seen such um, in the latter part of the 20th century. So our desire to be more deeply invested in the life, uh, you might say the warp and woof of the university, not just because we love the university, but because we realize that's what it takes to produce lasting change. I think if you think, if you compare the way foreign missionaries, for example, regard their mission field, they know they have to be deeply embedded in it and to, to uh, have an influence for Christ from within, not from the margins. That, that was our conviction. Uh, certainly. And some of that also involved wedding our commitment to the gospel mission with um, a love of learning, the life of the mind. What can we affirm about higher education as Christians? Uh, What do we need to challenge? Of course, all of those are part of the ways that we've evolved in our programming over the years, but the basic commitment remained um, a high level of, of uh, engagement within the univer- within the uni- the university within the institution. Um, as I as I now I know that the universities are are regarded with a lot of suspicion these days. Perhaps Yale University uh, at the top of that list. But as I often clarify for people, the university is a mission field, not a battlefield. A battlefield, except in the spiritual sense. Um, these are people with remarkable influence in the world who, for the most part, have very little witness to Christ. Um, so our conviction was that we could bring that witness if we dug deeply into the life of the institution itself. And acquiring a building, a physical location, a physical space within the university was one uh, element in that. Say more. With regard to the building location, say more about institutional presence. Yeah. So um, I, I remember when we were first launching the Rivendell Institute, which we, we began in 1995. Uh, we finally incorporated in 2001. But a very dear friend of mine who was a, a professor here at Yale uh, responded to my uh, description of what we wanted to do by saying uh, the first thing you need to do is find a place. You you need to be physically located here to have the kind of credibility and platform that you're seeking. Um, so in addition to just the efficiency of having a space for offices and meetings and things like that, it says something to the university community that you exist in a physical location. Um, that our commitment to presence uh, isn't uh, abstract, but the product of a great deal of investment on, on our part. And other religious organizations get this. 
they invest tens of millions of dollars in physical properties um, because they share the same commitment that you actually have to be known to inhabit the space that where you want to have a ministry. Um, so incarnating a Christian presence is perhaps one way that we would think of it in light of our own faith. Um, and the, the incarnation of our presence has obvious physical elements to it. We're, we're here. We care. We're part of this community. Uh, our building is a place of welcome to any. What programs exist? When you say welcoming to any, talk about your programs there at Rivendell Institute. Yeah, we have, uh, in broad terms, we have two different kinds of programs. One is focused more on what you might think of as traditional ministry efforts, spiritual formation, a student fellows program, Bible studies with um, students as well as uh, faculty, that sort of thing. The other half of it is research-oriented, though that also is very heavily committed to the development of relationships and networks of scholars and that sort of thing. Um, so for Christian graduate students, and we focus on graduate students and faculty, not on undergraduates, um, they need to know that there is a safe place for them both to have their faith nurtured and to ask the kinds of questions that arise in trying to live out their Christian faith in the context of a secular university, as well as in, in their own careers, their own professional lives in the future. Um, for those who are not people of faith, uh, which most of the faculty and students at Yale are not, um, there needs to be a, a, an intellectual hospitality that communicates both a willingness to listen and a desire to speak out of our own particular outlook and, and commitments. And, and one of the things that we've done that's actually was started in the Boston area where you are, Danny, the faculty roundtable initiatives, um, where you literally bring Yale professors to dinner with you and create conversations that are that welcome a variety of different perspectives, but at which religious voices and understanding is present. So imagine a room full of 100 professors engaging important topics about what it means to be human or the nature of the human, some of the challenges that we face in present society, um, exchanging their views on these questions with people of faith. Um, that's what I mean by creating an, a, 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 an environment that invites people's uh, engagement. And what I found is that professors do not object to having conversations with people who are coming at some of these questions from a faith perspective. Um, they literally have very few opportunities to do so if they're not members of a religious community themselves. Um, so making it thoughtful, robust, but also hospitable. Um, the alternative is no conversation at all. And it is up to the 
Christ's witnesses to create those possibilities, not to insist that people come to us, but to understand how do we build bridges to them. This bridge building work, tracing back even when you talked about imagination as a bridge, who are members of your team, the Rivendell team to help, whether it's Yale roundtables, whether it's research, there's programs for grad graduate students and faculty. Who are your team members? Yeah, well, my, my, not exclusively, but most of my team members are co-founders of Rivendell. This resulted from conversations that go all the way back to the 1980s, where we expressed frustration at having very little impact on the culture of the contemporary university. Um, the founders of the Rivendell Institute were five couples, um, all of us coming out of extensive ministry experience, um, including campus ministry, but also ministries abroad and ministries with other sort of influential populations. Uh, so when you look at the profile of the ministry directors or the program directors at Rivendell, on average, uh, 30 to 40 years of ministry training and experience. And so we bring all of that experience to bear in our ministry uh, and work among Christian students and faculty, non-Christian students and faculty, fellow scholars, uh, etc. cetera. Um, and that's just, it's just a, a wealth of experience that is very unique to have concentrated in one team of of campus ministry people. You're listening to Dr. David Mahan. He is the executive director of the Rivendell Institute at Yale. He's also a lecturer in religion and literature at Yale University's Institute of Sacred Music. In our final segment, when we come back, we'll talk about what kind of leadership is needed today. I'm talking about for society and Christ's mission. The values of the Rivendell Institute are cultivating thoughtful engagement, curating intellectual hospitality, and the commitment to service and excellence. You can find out more about Rivendell Institute at rivendellinstitute.org. Stay with us. We'll be back with more. Wandering the road of desperate life Famously beneath the barren sky Hi, this is Danny Yamashiro. A woman in Boston recently told me, I listen to your program every day and was inspired by the man who became an NFL quarterback. A person in Orlando said, I heard your podcast of the man who came to God during the Jesus movement. Another friend said, that pastor who gave one of his organs to a boy without ever meeting the child touched me about Jesus' love. The Good Life with Dr. Danny radio podcast is made possible through financial partners. Would you consider sending a gift to keep our program going? Podcasts are downloaded in 45 states and 25 nations. Help us expand our reach. Go to drdanny.live and click support this media ministry. That's drdanny.live and click support this media ministry. 
You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Over 25 years ago, a conversation began about Christian faith in the academy. From those early deliberations came a vision to renew the presence of thoughtful Christian faith in academic discourse and university life. Rivendell Institute was born. Five couples sharing this vision. Dr. David Mahan is the executive director, one of the founders, and he joins us today sharing heart-to-heart with us about leadership, about imagination, about uh, literary imagination and uh, Christian theology. Thanks for being with us today. I, I'm grateful that you're joining with us, dear friend, and we're privileged to be in conversation with David Mann. David, what kind of leadership is needed today for society and Christ's mission? That's a great question, Danny, and it certainly is one that we... Uh, engage constantly and have throughout the history of our of the Rivendell Institute. Um, obviously, there are qualities of leadership that are important and needed to every generation, every season of the church in whatever cultural context you find it. Um, I think particularly uh, our interest at the Rivendell Institute is helping to form leaders who integrate their faith with their scholarship, with their professional training, as well as with their lives. We often find uh, Christians uh, who compartmentalize those things, or if not doing that explicitly, that is separating their work life from their faith and that sort of thing. Uh, They don't really have models. What does it look like for me to live out my Christian commitments as an historian, as a scholar of literature, as a doctor, as a lawyer. So we need leaders who understand the full scope of their faith and its influence in every aspect of their lives. And so the work of integration, uh, integrating those elements for somebody is is an important part of what Rivendell tries to contribute to people's formation. Um, Another um, again, common element, but seems to be a particular need today is humility. Um, now, we, we work at Yale University, and uh, like many universities, there's a great deal of ego. Um, but it's not exclusive to the university or to Yale, as, as we know. Um, what, what qualities of Jesus Christ are needed when a society is in an um, the turmoil of anger and frustration and confusion. Um, I think of, of Jesus's example to us, self-emptying, emptying himself and taking the form of a servant. Uh, so servant leadership, again, uh, applicable to every era and every culture, but that seems to be keenly needed today. The, 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 the people around us need to see the humility of Jesus Christ um, as a counterexample to the cultural warfare that we've been experiencing over the last uh, few years. 
Um, and I also think we need imaginative leadership. I think we need leaders who can who can um, perceive uh, a, a deeper realization of our Christian faith, the, the, the presence of Christ in the world, um, and who find new ways of uh, understanding our faith in light of, of present as well as future challenges that we face. It was uh, Schopenhauer who said, talent hits a target that no one else can reach. Genius hits a target that no one else can see. And I think leadership, leaders that are um, imbued with the imagination of Christ understand that there are things that we need to be aiming for that maybe most of the people around us don't even see. Um, and so we need the capacity not only to perceive those things ourselves, but also to translate that. So we need ambassadors who are effective translators uh, for the world around us, who, again, who can renew um, an understanding of Christ for our contemporary society. When you speak of leadership and you speak of imagination and how the two go together, I recall hearing you say, David, pray for opportunity, prepare for opportunity, walk into opportunity. Why? Well, that's the adventure of the Christian life, uh, as I understand it, um, that I am a steward of the gospel, as Paul says, tells the Corinthians, steward of the mysteries of Christ. I'm a steward of my talents, my gifts. Um, I, I believe as a disciple of Jesus, he expects me to cultivate those and to put them to work uh, for the work that he has created for me to walk in, as uh, Paul tells um, uh, some of his, uh, some of the believers in his letters. And so uh, I, I think it's, I think it's important that um we remain open and yet are diligent in our preparation. Um, we recall Paul asking the Colossians to pray for open doors for the word. And that image really stuck with me. It stuck with me personally. It sticks with me in terms of Rivendell's presence at Yale, constantly asking the Lord to create new opportunities while remain diligent to cultivate what it is he's given us so that we um are, are able to be most effective as we walk into those new opportunities. So I, I like to use the image of shaking door handles as an approach to ministry. Um, given uh, opportunities that we have, given abilities, gifts, talents, etc., that God has given us, let's just shake a few handles and see which doors open. And uh, again, it's such a different dynamic for me to think of my ministry in those terms because I, I feel more confident that I'm following our creative Holy Spirit uh, mm. in the ministry rather than just um, trying to line up all of my agenda. Um, so I, I, it's it's the combination of faithful stewardship and receptivity that that mantra of praying for opportunity, preparing for opportunity and walking into opportunity tries to capture. As you've shaken handles, 
David Mahan, have you ever been shaken? Have you experienced moments of challenge over the years? And if so, what 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 are some of those and how, how has the Lord helped you? Well, I, I think well one one of them certainly is as struggles with depression, which many of us face some of that tied to uh, being a good performer for Christ instead of a good follower, if you know what I mean by that difference, um, mm. and discovering the freedom that Christ from judgment and condemnation that Christ brings to us. Um, and again, that that you know, a, 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 an approach that's that's receptive, not performative, has been important in terms of addressing those challenges. And I, and I think too, another challenge, I mean, is fear. I, when I came to Yale uh, relatively young, I was incredibly intimidated. Uh, this is a powerful place and it's it's got remarkable cultural capital and cachet in our society as well as worldwide. It's very intimidating to be around people of this kind, uh, of this caliber and that have this kind of status. And so um Dealing with that fear, the intimidation that I that I felt, um, again, uh, addressed by the freedom that we have in Christ from those sorts of things. Um, but also the, the, that faith itself should include risk. I think the Lord loves that when his followers say, let's just try this. That's what I mean by walking into opportunity. Let's just go out and see what the Lord is doing. And I... I, I, I was telling my son the other day, in fact, who also works for a ministry, that, that I never want to be in a place where I'm not risking. Um, and so the fear element where it can be negative and even paralyzing actually um, has some positive things to it when you step out in faith to be available for something that that. Uh, for which you don't feel confident or for which you don't know the outcome. David, this would be a good time, I think, to pray for a listener who may be shaken. Maybe they've shaken the door and then they're shaking. (laughs) Maybe they're recoiling from the risk in front of them. Maybe it's intimidation. Maybe it's depression. David Mann, you have spoken from your heart. I believe God is touching their heart through you as you speak. Would you pray for this dear one who's listening right now? Yes, of course, Danny. Lord, any, anybody who is listening who may struggle with um, with the things that I've struggled with, as others struggle with, um, especially if, if they are not thinking well of themselves, if they are uh, tied to what the world thinks of them or what they think of themselves rather than what you think of them. I pray for their deliverance, that you would once again show them how you regard them as incredibly value, as the apple of your eye, that you would um, give them the grace to move beyond fear or depression um, to a place of freedom. Um, Not a place without sorrow, Lord, 
um, but a place of, of freedom where that sorrow, which can be real and difficult, does not overwhelm them. I thank you that you make available to us a new way of being in the world, um, even as weak people. So I pray that for any listener out there who is feeling those things. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 David, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. You are most welcome, Danny. It was a, a privilege, and I, I, uh, I really appreciate this opportunity. Words of hope and imagination from Dr. David Mahan, RivendellInstitute.org, my friend. God's timing is perfect, and I believe there's no better time than right now to share the love of Christ with someone near you. And if you haven't done so, look, this may be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Jesus. Go to drdanny.live for next steps. Find resources to reach family and friends. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and major platforms. Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Dr. David Mahan, RivendellInstitute.org. Until next time, along with my producer and creative director, Brian Torres, social media director, Luke Yamashiro, and guest coordinator, Jan Yi. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with The Good Life.